Would you, would you join me in prayer as we turn to God's word? Lord, I am very aware, especially today, as we look at Revelation 4, at how woefully unable I am to preach this message, and how unable all of us are to understand it, and without your help to faithfully live according to it. But Lord, you have given us your Holy Spirit as our guide. And so we ask for your help today. Please help, Holy Spirit, as we hear your word. May Jesus be revealed to us and formed in us so that we will better love him with all of our hearts and minds and souls and strength. Amen. Well, I would like to ask for you to stand up again, and we've had Revelation 5 read a few times in different ways already today, but I'm going to read Revelation chapter 4 to us, and just like to ask for you to stand as we read God's word. Revelation 4. After this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. And in the center... Around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second was like an ox, the third had a face like a man, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. And each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings, and day and night they never stopped singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, and who is, and who is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Amen. You may be seated. Revelation 4 and 5 is John's vision of the throne room of heaven where God is seated, surrounded by angels and creatures and human beings forever, singing their praise to him. 
Uh, I was listening to a sermon this week to, um, uh, from a, of a mentor of mine named Daryl Johnson. I mentioned to, uh, to him before. He's uh, one who has taught me the most about this, this book. And, and in that sermon, he referenced the second verse of the hymn, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee. And the second verse is this. All thy works with joy surround thee. Earth and heaven reflect thy rays. Stars and angels sing around me. Center of unbroken praise. Center of unbroken praise. The center of unbroken praise. Revelation 4 is a vision of this center of unbroken praise. Brothers and sisters, I want to tell you about a mystery. Worship of the living God is happening all around us, all of the time. When you think about heaven... I don't want you to think of some faraway place up there. When the Bible talks about the spiritual realms or the heavenly places, they are referring to a dimension of God's creation that is all around us, but that we cannot see with our human, earth-bound eyes. And so John, the writer of the book of Revelation, was given the privilege of having this door to heaven open for him. And he was given eyes to see what's happening in the heavenly places. And he writes it down for us. And so in uh, chapter 4, verse 1, John says that he looked and there was a door standing open. And the very first thing that he sees is a throne. With all of creation surrounding that throne, offering worship to God through unbroken praise. He saw the center of unbroken praise. At the center of all of reality, there is unbroken, never-ending praise given to God our Creator. Minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day, year by year, decade by decade, century by century, millennia by millennia, God receives unbroken, never-ending praise forever and ever and ever. At the center of all reality is God on the throne, enjoying unbroken praise to his name. I want to tell you a little bit more about this mystery. When we gather together here on Sunday mornings as God's people, we are entering into participating in this unbroken praise that is always happening. Just beyond the veil, just on the other side of this door that was open for John, is a reality that we cannot see with our human eyes, but that we participate in when we gather together in worship, when we sing, when we bring our offerings, when we listen to and submit to God's word, when we gather together around the communion table. We are participating in this unbroken, never-ending praise. God is inviting us this morning as we meditate on Revelation 4 to become aware that we are joining together with the angels and every creature under heaven and giving honor and glory and praise to God. Unbroken, never-ending. Did you think about that when you woke up this morning? 
Did you imagine yourself coming to enter into something like that? Me either. <laughs> right? Well, I, had, I did today because I was preaching on it. <laughs> I had a little bit of help this morning. But I believe that God wants to show us that we are participating in something eternally valuable when we gather together to worship him. Let me tell you a bit more about this mystery. Revelation 4 tells us that at the center of all reality is unbroken, never-ending, forever praise, which means that this is something that you can join in anytime, anywhere. When we finish our time together today as the gathering of God's people at Broadway Christian Church and we leave this particular room and the lights are out and you drive home, you can continue to join in and to participate in this worship anytime, anywhere. When you bow your heads before a meal and give thanks to God, when we go about our jobs and do it as unto the Lord, we are mysteriously joining in together with the angels and the creatures surrounding the throne giving praise to God. Romans 12 tells us that our worship is when we offer our bodies as living sacrifice. When we take these bodies that God has given to us and we offer them to Him and to our neighbor for love for him and love for neighbor. When we reach out to the neighbor who is hurting, when we take a, a meal to a brother or sister who is sick, when we visit the one who is in prison, when you gather with your small group on Thursday evening, when you lay your head down at night and remember God and his work in your life throughout the day, you are entering into this never-ending, unbroken praise. I've mentioned this book uh, a, f a few times in the past. It's called Every Moment Holy. And it's a, it's a book that um, has prayers for the common everyday moments of our lives. Uh, many of them where we don't often imagine that we are worshiping or don't imagine that we could offer a prayer to God. Just, I just want to listen to some of the uh, list, a few of the, the prayers that are um, written for in, in this book. A prayer for those who are washing clothes. A prayer for those who work in wood and stone and metal and clay. A prayer for the changing of diapers, number one. For the changing of diapers, number two. <laughs> a prayer upon leaving on a holiday. A prayer for the enjoyment of a bonfire. A prayer at the first snow. A prayer before consuming media. A prayer for gardening. A prayer for feasting with friends. A prayer for the ritual of morning coffee. When we do these things, these every moment kind of things as an act of worship, as an offering to God, we are mysteriously participating in the heavenly worship described in Revelation chapter 4, joining together with the angels and all of creation in this unbroken, never-ending praise of God. That's all we're talking about today. Is it enough? Amen. Well, 
It's been a few weeks since we've been in Revelation, and so I want to reorient us a bit back to this book for a moment. Um, the book of Revelation is, is John's writing of this vision that he receives of heaven. Uh, four different times in this book, John says that he was able to see heaven opened to him. The door of heaven is open to him. He's able to see what is true about the world from the perspective of heaven. He's able to see what is true about the world from the perspective of heaven. A couple of months ago, I described the book of Revelation as a lens that we put on that helps us to see the events and circumstances of our world from the heavenly perspective. Revelation was given so that we can begin to have the capacity to see our world as God sees it. When evil seems to be winning... When innocent blood is shed, when God's people are martyred, we can know that there is more to the story than we can see with our own eyes. God is at work. Revelation reminds us that God is a God of fierce justice, that he is going to bring his judgment on evil, and he's also going to bring about his work of redemption in his good time. Revelation is a lens to help us see our world from God's perspective, to help us see our present realities in light of the unseen realities of the heavenly places. Revelation tells us that there is more to the story, more that is happening right now than we can see with our eyes. Revelation 4 and 5 is a bit of a turning point in, in, the, whole, in the whole book of Revelation. Up to this point... In the book, we have, for the most part, encountered a book that we are, are kind of familiar with, especially in chapters 2 and 3. We read those seven letters that are, are challenges to particular churches who are going through particular trials, and we can relate to those. They sound a little bit like some of Paul's letters and the instructions and the warnings that he gives, uh, that, that Paul gives to us in his, his letters. And so we're somewhat familiar with that. But in, in Revelation 4, the book takes a, a major turn. And the rest of the book gets really strange and unfamiliar to us. The rest of the book is filled with those strange images and symbols and numbers that can be really confusing and difficult for us to understand. And that we know has also caused a lot of, of division and confusion in the church. But today I want to talk about this passage in Revelation 4 and 5, where we get a glimpse into the throne room of heaven. A door is open into heaven, and John sees a vision of the heavenly throne room where God is seated. I believe this vision tells us some things about who God is and tells us some things about what our worship of him needs to look like. This vision tells us that God is sovereign, that he is in control. He is Lord. When John sees this open door into heaven, he sees a throne and someone is sitting on it. I, I kind of wonder, as John was on the island of Patmos, if the, he has been exiled away from family and friends and community because of his faith, I wonder if in times and seasons of, of doubt, if he wondered if there was anyone sitting on the throne. And so God in his mercy opens the door of heaven and he sees a throne and someone is sitting on it. The throne at the center of all reality is not empty. There is someone sitting on it. 
And we need to be reminded of this just like John did. There are times in our life and in our world where from our earthly perspective, um, as our brother Alex prayed earlier, it just seems so chaotic. There seems to be so much grief. We have to wonder if there is a rhyme or a purpose or a meaning in all of it. Things happen to us, to people that we love, and we ask, why? What is the meaning of what's happening? What is the purpose of that? We see evil and injustices happening in our, in our world, and we wonder why. Is there meaning? Is there purpose? Is there some reason behind all of this? Revelation 4 and 5 tells us that at the center of all reality is a throne and that someone is sitting on it. That God, the Creator and Lord, sees and He knows all things. And He is reigning and He is ruling over history. And He will bring His justice and His redemption to our world in His way and in His time. And it will be for our good. In this vision, John sees in front of the throne a sea of glass as clear as crystal. This image is a reminder to us of the sovereignty of God. Throughout the Bible, the oceans, the sea, the waters are always, I think always, almost always at least, an image of chaos. In the very beginning, in Genesis chapter 1, the Spirit of God is hovering over the chaotic and formless waters. And then he brings order to it as he uh, speaks creation into being. But here before the throne, the sea is not chaotic and formless. It is still and clear like crystal. Just like Jesus when he was here on earth and they were on the boat and the, the storms and the waves and the chaos was there. Jesus stood in that boat and he stood up and he said, peace be still. That same Lord is sitting on the throne with a sea of glass in front of him that is calm, peace. Be still. The Lord is sovereign. He is in control. He is bringing order to the chaos of our world. About 800 years before John wrote the book of Revelation, there was another prophet, Isaiah, who had the door of heaven opened to him. I'd like for you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6 want to read what Isaiah saw when he had the door of heaven open to him. And as we're reading this, I, I was listening to a sermon this week where um, a, a pastor compared the vision of Isaiah to the, the vision of Revelation 4 and 5, and he drew out the different, um, the different similarities between those visions and also the differences between those two visions. And it was a, a beautiful sermon. And so as that would maybe a homework assignment for you is to take Isaiah chapter 6 and to write out the similarities and the differences between Isaiah 6 and Revelation 4 and 5. Here's Isaiah 6. I'm going to read down through verse 7. In the, king, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple. 
Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Isaiah wrote these words and received this vision in the year that King Uzziah died. And when Isaiah sees his own image, like John, the first thing that he sees is what? A throne with someone sitting on it. From the time that Isaiah wrote, 800 years before, to the time that John wrote, 800 years after, emperors and kings died. Emperors and kings gained thrones, and they lost thrones. But in all of that time, from Isaiah to John, the Lord God was still seated on the throne. The throne is always occupied. It is never, ever empty. Nearly 2,000 years have passed since John wrote this book on the island of Patmos, and nations and kingdoms and rulers and emperors and presidents and rulers have risen to power and they've fallen away from power, but there is still one now on the throne, the center of unbroken praise. Revelation 4 and 5 tells us that God is sovereign. He is in charge. He is in control. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he is and always will be on the throne. The second thing we see from this passage is that God is worthy of the worship of his people. God is worthy of the worship of his people. In John's vision, he sees 24 thrones surrounding the one throne at the center with 24 elders sitting on it. And this image of 24 elders is where I believe you and I are represented in this vision. Twelve is the number in the Bible that represents God's people. In the Old Testament, there were 12 tribes in Israel. In the New Testament, there were 12 disciples. Twelve is the number of God's people. Two times 12 is 24. The 24 thrones surrounding the one throne points to all of God's redeemed people joining together in worship. We are a part of the redeemed people of God who by God's grace through the finished work of Jesus are invited to come and to know God and to see him and to rule and to reign with him. In this image, as we see what the elders do, these 24 elders around the throne, as we see what they do, we learn a lot about our own worship as we, can, uh, as we see what they do in their worship. The 24 elders worship by falling down and bowing down before God. 
This is something that happens over and over and over again in Scripture. When someone is in the presence of God, they bow down low to God. It's a posture of submission. It's a posture of acknowledging who God is, how powerful and holy he is, and how lowly and weak and dependent we are. In Revelation 4, the elders also worship him by casting their crowns before them, by taking off their crowns and laying them down at the feet of the one who is on the throne. Our crowns represent our own glory, our own victories, our own authority, and we cast in our worship all of that down before God. We cast our crowns at his feet because we acknowledge that any good thing that we have, any good thing that we do, any good thing that we accomplish, all of those things deserve to be thrown to the feet of the one who made us and who gave us life and the ability to do any good thing. And so we take off our crowns, our authority, our accomplishments, and we place them at the feet of him who is on the throne. And the 24 elders, they they sing to him. This is one of the differences between the passage of Isaiah chapter 6 and Revelation 4 and 5. In Isaiah 6, when Isaiah finds himself in the presence of God, he says, Woe is me, I'm a dead man, I'm not supposed to be here in the presence of God. But here in Revelation 4, there, there is no undue fear of being destroyed in the presence of God. Between Isaiah 6 and Revelation 4, the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus has happened. The 24 elders know that through the blood of the Lamb that they have been invited into the presence of God. As Hebrews says, that they can come boldly before the throne and worship in His presence. They bow low, they cast down their crowns, they sing to him, holy, holy, holy. The Lord on the throne is triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Holy, holy, holy. This three-person reality, holy, holy, holy. This is what the 24 elders sing. He is holy, perfect, completely different and greater and higher than us. We also see in Revelation 4 that... The one who is on the throne is worthy of the worship of all creation. I'm going to read verses uh, 6 through 8 again. It says, In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around. And day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. John sees around the throne four living creatures. These are representatives of all creation around the throne, giving worship and praise to God in their own unique God-given way. This is a theme throughout the Bible that I think, for whatever reason, in our our modern American ears that we often miss, that God is delighted and will receive worship from every part of his creation. In Colossians 1, Paul tells us that God is at work through Jesus, reconciling all things to himself, things visible and invisible. He later says that the gospel has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. 
In Romans 8, Paul says that all of creation is waiting, longing, groaning to be liberated from its bondage of, in death and to decay and to be brought into the freedom of the sons of God. All creation is waiting for its salvation and its redemption so that all creation can give worship to God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. Worthy are you, Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and are created. In Revelation 4 and 5, we're told about this, this mystery through this vision given to John. We're told that at the center of reality is unbroken, never-ending praise, moment by moment, forever and ever praise to the Lord of creation. And as we hear this today, I want this to be an invitation for us to join in, to participate in this unbroken praise. Revelation 4 gives us a God-centered vision of our lives and of our world and of all reality. It's a vision that gets us out of ourselves and causes us to bow low and to cast our crowns at the feet and to sing holy, 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 because he is the Lord and King of all creation, and he is the only one that deserves our worship. This is a God-centered view of our lives and of our world. I want to contrast this for a moment to the, the questions that we often ask about worship. Those questions or comments that we make about worship are so often self-centered, aren't they? Did I get anything out of it? Did they sing songs that I like? Did I get any of those warm feelings when I was singing? Things were too fast or too slow or too loud or too soft or too long. The pastor preached too long or too short. So much of our questions and desires around worship are self-centered. The unbroken praise at the center of all reality that we see in Revelation 4 is entirely focused on God. The elders are around the throne, falling down before him, casting their crowns at his feet, lifting their voices up to him. It's so God-centered, not self-centered, right? Think about the questions that we ask about our day-to-day -day lives. They're so self-centered, aren't they? Am I comfortable today? Did the circumstances work out in the way that I wanted them to? Did I get my own way? Revelation 4 and 5 challenges our self-centered posture, and it turns us and tells us to be focused and centered on God, who is at the center of all reality. What if we asked a different set of questions about our worship both our Sunday morning gathering as well as our day-to-day -day lives. Today, did I faithfully participate with the angels in unbroken praise that is due to our Creator? Was my mind and my heart directed to His glory and goodness and mercy? Today, did I try to do everything that I could to keep my crown on my head? Or did I lay it down 
at the feet of the one who's on the throne. In the middle of this terrible circumstance that I'm going through, did I remember that the Lord is sovereign, that he is in control, and that I can trust him? Did I use my words and my body and my time to give God the worship that he deserves? These are the kinds of questions that reorient our perspective on our own lives and our world and of all reality. The Lord is on the throne. When John saw that door opened... He saw a throne with someone sitting on it. Amen.